Kia ora everyone, good evening. A ship is safe in the harbor, but that is not what ships are meant for. Tonight we begin a new series, and we couldn't have begun it in a more better way than the way Jordan led us in communion. Did you hear that phrase that he said near the end there? Jesus didn't die just so I could go home instead of my computer. Jesus didn't just die so I could go home and do my own thing. Jesus didn't die so I could just go on living my life day to day as if nothing had ever happened. It's a firm belief of us in this church that when Christ died and rose again, he did it for a purpose, and he's calling each and every one of us to shed off the bands of mediocrity and move forward with purpose and passion, because God has a plan for you, and he doesn't want you just sitting on the sidelines watching the action happen. There is a purpose for you. God is calling us further, deeper, into places where we are uncomfortable, where we don't know what's going to happen, where we are reliant on him for every breath that we take, where we are hoping that God will do more than we could ever hope and dream. That is the calling for each and every Christian, amen? Amen. amen? amen? The only question is, what does that mean? You know, you, you, we, I mean, we agree, and we have this idea of this pursuit, right? God calls us to big things, and we, it, it, something burns within us knowing that's true. It sits in our spirits, and we're like, yes, there has to be more than just sitting in church on Sundays, Right? But when it comes to actually what does that mean, we've spent the last few weeks in a series called Fire Stories, where we've told all these incredible stories of heroes of the faith throughout the centuries and what they've done as they've followed God. And pretty much every single evening, we finish with this one message, do it again through us, Jesus. And it was huge. It was meaningful. But I couldn't help but feel we finished a series, and if it were me, I'd be sitting in the crowd thinking, cool, yes. But I don't have any more specifics after that. And I think part of the reason is that because we, 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 we grab onto this idea of the pursuit of God, but when it comes to specifics, we don't really quite know, so we start to assume and think, well, maybe I guess this is it, right? But assuming is dangerous, and I realized this uh, this weekend. So this weekend, I, um, I binged watch uh, Stranger Things on Netflix. Anyone, anyone watch that? Yeah, yeah. So I, I won't, I won't. No spoilers, I promise. I won't ruin your night. It's amazing, though. But... So I loved the first season. If you don't know what Stranger Things is, it's a series on Netflix, and uh, it's amazing. It's super like 80s retro-themed about kids and aliens and monsters and supernatural stuff. It's so good. And the first series I loved, I binged it so, so quickly, and I did the same this week. There has to actually be a word for the mixture of pride and shame that happens when you binge something. Like, it's that same feeling of when you've eaten an entire pizza, and then you're like, I don't know if I should, like, cry or finish the night off with a tub of ice cream. You know, it's this, it's this like tight feeling between I'm really proud of what I did, but I'm ashamed. I'm appraimed. I'm, you know, we need to find some word for this sense of I'm really stoked with what I did. But I noticed this sense in me. So when I jumped onto Stranger Things season two, I felt like I knew, I knew what I was waiting for. I hadn't seen the first season since the last year, and I watched the last year pretty much in the space of a few days. And so when season two came around, I was ready, eh? I was like, this is gonna be amazing. And then the first episode starts going, and I'm spending the entire season being like, who's that person? What happened? Haley, who's that? What was the story there? No, what was this person? Who, who is that person? And Haley is so frustrated with me because she's having to explain over and over again. Basically, Haley has to tell me the entire plot of the first season because I've forgotten it. I assumed I knew it because I watched it. I was like, yeah, kids, aliens, powers. It's awesome. It was great. But when it came down to the specifics of what it actually meant and how that connected to storylines and plot points, I was going off like, I think, 
I think I know what it is. But when season two rolled around, I realized I didn't know it as well as I thought I knew it. And often I think this happens to us with faith. Particularly the big things, the, the big um, gospel things, the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus, we know it and we hear it, but we hear it so often that we assume we know it. And then this weird things happen in church where we end up majoring on the minors. So we focus on all the side things because we assume we know Jesus' death, resurrection, the gospel. We know it's good. So we focus on all these other things of how to be a better parent, how to be a better this, how to do this better. And we assume we're all here and we end up minoring on the majors and majoring on the minors. Do you understand? And we can end up missing or assuming we know the story of the gospel. And we can end up assuming we know what God's calling us to this pursuit means. But maybe we actually don't know it as well as we think we do. And I think it leads us into a sense of paralysis because you hear this great talk and then you're going to leave here on the night and you'd be like, wow, God has a purpose for me. And then you're going to go home and be like, I don't quite know what that is. So I'll just keep doing my thing, right? And I think part of the reason for that is how we've understood the gospel. Now, I'm going old school today. I hope, I hope you can bear with me, but I'm going to use a drawing board. This is going to be fun. So often when we talk about the gospel, if we were to just, in the same way that I think about season, uh, Stranger Things season one, you grab like the big pull-up points, the big things that stick out in your head, and usually our gospel story, if I were to put you on the spot right now and say, tell me the gospel right now, you have three seconds. Usually our gospel story ends up something like this, right? So we have something like, uh, God created us really good, Adam creation story, something like that. We were all good, but then something bad happened. Now, depending on your theology and how fancy words you like to use, maybe that was the original sin of Adam and Eve. Maybe that was your own personal sin for the things you've done in your life. But we would have a general consensus that something bad has happened, right? Yours is good, and then something as bad has happened, and we call that bad thing sin. And we've been in sin for a long time. Sin is bad, 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 bad. And we're stuck in the bad place. We're stuck in this yuck, right? And so... We're stuck in sin, bad things are happening, we're a bad person, but thankfully God has sent Jesus, and Jesus comes to earth, and shows up as a human, and then he dies on the cross, and when he dies on the cross, he makes us better again. Yay! Right? He heals us of our sins, we're, we're now back at the good place where God wants us to be, and so now we're just kind of chilling until we know Jesus will come back and take us to heaven, or we'll disappear into heaven, or we'll get raptured, or we won't get raptured, we don't... We're not really quite sure on the specifics, and we'll probably argue if we talk about it too much, right? But we know Jesus will come back, and then um, we'll boost, right? If, now, granted, I know I'm shrinking it down, and there's lots of nuances, but if we're pushed comes to shove, this is a common way that a lot of us would tell the gospel, am I right? This is the common way that we'd often understand the story of Jesus. And so when it, if this is our understanding of the gospel, when it comes to the pursuit if, you're, if God has called you to big things, if God has called you to join and follow him, what does that actually mean? Like practically, what are the real things you're going to end up doing? If your whole idea of the gospel is just this scheme, right? Bad, good, bad, Jesus makes us good, and then we're biding time, then really all the things that you can do in the gospel come down to basically three things. If God calls you to this pursuit, this pursuit looks like three things roughly. Um, we're in this place, right? We're right here. So in this place, before Jesus comes back, we have three things to do. Uh, the first one is um, you don't want to sin anymore. You know, like, Jesus did all this work to get you up here. You don't want to, that's bad. So sin less, right? So you don't want to mess that up. So that would be your first one. The next thing that we would talk to you about is 
we probably should be nice to one another, right? <laughs> you guys are like, I'm not sure about that one. There are some people I would not want to be nice to. Genuinely, we, most of us would say, yep, so we should don't sin, and we should be nice, and then if we're really going to get serious, if we're really going to work hard, if we're really going to follow the gospel, uh, what we'll try to do is we'll try to get others in. Now, none of you can read that, but that doesn't matter. Just imagine you can read it, right? So our main thing is we have to don't sin, be nice, and then if we're really spiritual, if we're really serious about this pursuit of God, what it means is we need to get people in. That means you need to go find your friends, find your coworkers, and drag them in here to church so somebody like me can sit and talk at them for 20 minutes, and then we all cross our fingers and hope something magical happens, right? Roughly? That's, that's, our, that's very much our understanding of the pursuit. So when we've had the, all these weeks saying, God has called you to big things, great things, my fear, and now this may not be right, some of you will be super spiritual and you'll be fine, but my fear is that a lot of us will filter it through this. God has called you to great things, and so in our head we think, all right, I should sin less, I should be nicer to people, and I should bring more people to church. And if that's true, then if, what, if you're, what if God has really put something on your heart? What if you really, really want to give your whole life to God? What if you really want to say, no, God, everything I have is yours. My whole life is yours. I want to do everything for you. I want to give my everything for you, Jesus. What does that mean? Well, if this is your sole understanding of the gospel, if this is your only framework, then if you're super spiritual, then it means that you're going to go to some fancy theological college and going to become a pastor. Or you're going to ministry, right? That's for the really see people who take the call of God super seriously. And if you don't go to theological college, and then you're like, well, I guess I'll just do those three things. And now, wouldn't that be terrible? Could you imagine if everyone who felt the, God, the call of God in their life had to become like me? That would be horrible. Could you imagine a whole bunch of me and Craig's running around the world if every Christian had to become like us? It'd be terrible. It'd just be a bunch of people talking at each other with no practical skills, whatever. I mean, all of your administration would fall apart. Your infrastructure would go to pieces. Nothing new would get built. Everyone would be like, oh, we'd probably have a good time. Actually, no, we wouldn't. We'd probably be arguing over these fine little points of theology that no one, not even Jesus, probably cares about. And so there's a problem with this. You hear? Like, if this is our sole understanding then the gospel's not actually that big because if you're not called to be a pastor, and the truth is, most of us probably won't be, and that's probably a good thing. But if you're not called to be a pastor, then this framework can be really difficult for you. The gospel has to be bigger than that, just that. The call of God for you has to be bigger than just not sinning, being nice, and getting other people across the line. There has to be more in what Jesus did. Jesus didn't die just so you could sit in church, be nice, not sin, and try and drag others across the line. There is more to the gospel. There's so much more. Whoa, that felt fancy. All right. And it all revolves around this one phrase, and I'll write it super big so hopefully everyone can see it, and if not, I'm going to say it anyway. Oh, I'm running out of space. This is why I would never be a great teacher. Kingdom. Yes, Tash. Thank you. It all revolves around this one phrase of kingdom. Because if we only understand the gospel in terms of us getting to heaven, Jesus making us feel better so we can go to heaven, go away, we miss what so much of the gospels is about. Now, everything on that other side of the board, it is true and it's valid, but it fits within a bigger picture. And that bigger picture is of the kingdom. And so to get a taste for that, I want you to imagine we're 2,000 years ago. And we're in a setting not that different from this one. 
where people who follow the God of Israel gathered together, where they listened to the scriptures, where they encouraged one another as they suffered under the harmful, terrible, oppressive rule of the Romans, and they longed for God to do something. They longed for God to open up and save them. They're in a room just like this, and some young rabbi who's just been out in the wilderness for 40 days. He's been baptized, and apparently there were some supernatural things that happened when he got baptized, and now he's come into your synagogue. And he comes up to the front. He opens up the scriptures, and he picks a very, very specific one, one that's going to touch on the hearts of everyone there. He picks it up, and he reads from it, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he set it down. And the whole room was dead silent, dead silent. Everyone was staring at him. And then he utters these words, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And it's like a bomb explodes. Now, we have a hard time understanding when Jesus said these words why it was so significant. When we hear what Jesus talked about, um, he's anointed me, good news to the poor. Yeah, that sounds nice. Freedom for prisoners. We like that. Sight for the blind. We don't know many of them anymore, but we, that's good for them. Uh, set a press free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We assume these are just good things, but these weren't just cool little factoids, nice things Jesus was going to do. These were, like, these were like political buzzwords. Now, you'll notice it in every election. Every nation has their political buzzwords, right? So in America, it's we're the city on a hill. Uh, we're all about freedom, freedom, freedom for everyone. It's buzzwords that don't really mean too much, but they connect with the people. Here in New Zealand, you'd have phrases like, uh, we punch above our weight, or we're a really equal society, or um, anything with number eight wire, or really any, st any statistic where you can add per capita at the end. Like, that's what you guys are all about. It, like, connects with your heart, right? And it was the same way for Israel. All of these things, they weren't just cool things, they were promises. Because Israel had been longing for years and years, they've been living under the oppressive rule of all these nations, and their great hope was that one day God might become king again. That God's rule, God's kingdom might finally be established, and all the oppressive rule of these nations, the things that they've been fighting under, would finally leave, and all these phrases were catchwords, they were buzzwords that meant that. The year of the Lord's favor, freedom for the oppressed, sight for the blind, all these things happened when God became king. See, Jesus, when he got up on that day and he read from that scroll, he wasn't just telling the people how they could get to heaven one day, he was announcing a new kingdom. He was saying God is becoming king and it's happening now. And then his whole life begins to show that over and over. The way Jesus picks his disciples, he's showing that God is becoming king. He doesn't, but he doesn't follow the same rules of every empire that's followed before. The followers that Jesus picks aren't the well-educated. They're not the generals. They're not the leaders or the politicians. He picks fishermen and, and tax collectors and crazy radical zealots who wanted to overthrow the government. And he grabs this motley crew together and he brings them around and he starts showing them the new way. And when they understand, their eyes are opened. And then Jesus' command to them, when he sends them out two by two, what's the phrase that he says to them? Go out and proclaim the gospel. How? What is, this, what, what is the phrase he tells them to say? 
Behold, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. The kingdom of heaven is coming. It's happening now. And it builds and it builds. All the miracles Jesus does, they're great miracles and they're really, really important, but they fit within this wider frame where they're showing to all of Israel that God is becoming king. All the things that for 500 years they've been hoping in the scriptures are happening now in their midst. And finally, when Jesus gets this huge following and they think he's going to overthrow the Roman Empire and he was finally going to establish the literal kingdom of God on earth, it happens, but not in the way they expect. See, every empire since the beginning of the age, the way they rule, the way they cement their authority is through power and might and warfare. How does Jesus cement his authority? He gets up on a cross. He bears the wounds of all of humanity because the kingdom of God understands that the the fight isn't against Rome. It's not against the Greeks. It's not against any nation that's coming along. The thing that has plagued humanity since the beginning lies within our hearts. It's our selfishness. It's our sin. It's our brokenness that causes us to choose ourself and turn against our neighbor time and time again. And so when Jesus dies on that cross, it's inauguration day. Because the enemy that had plagued humanity for so long is finally defeated. He's finally vanquished. He has no more power. And Jesus rises from the dead to show that a new world has begun. Jesus, when he comes back from that grave, it's not just a cool story like, hey, I'm glad he's not dead. Good to see you again. Jesus' resurrection shows that there's a hope for every single one of us that we are not bound to live by the same ways that we have lived before, that the sin that has ruled us and condemned us in the past is gone, and now we can live in this new kingdom where God is king, where God rules. And this kingdom is good because when God is in control, we think about all those great things about heaven, eh? All those great stories where every tear will be wiped from the eye, where there will be no more pain, where there will be no more suffering, where there will be no more injustice, and people will be brought together. That is the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying is it's happening now in and through me. And then he tells his disciples to go out and spread the message of the kingdom to the entire world. And what's so significant is that, again, in the way they tell the story, in the way that scriptures tell it, we often think that the kingdom of heaven is this far-off place that we get to go to when we die, right? Like, well, zoom off and spend all of our time in heaven. And heaven is an important place, but that's not actually where the story ends. That's not where our life is finished. That's not our great hope that the story actually finishes in the book of Revelation. You know that book we're all too afraid to read because it's got dragons and blood in it, and we're not quite sure what to do with it? At the end of that book, there's the most beautiful picture, not of everyone disappearing and going off to heaven. The great hope of the world is that heaven actually comes down onto the earth. God's rule, God's kingdom comes and fully establishes itself here. And the gates of the new city of Jerusalem, which symbolize this new kingdom, are open. They are always open because God's presence and God's power and God's kingdom and God's hope and God's plans are spreading across the entire world. And everything, everything in creation, everything that we touch, see, and feel is brought under the dominion of God. And that is the hope that we long for. That is the gospel that these disciples went out proclaiming. And that's the, that's the gospel that got them killed. Because that kind of gospel throws up a challenge to every other form of power. 
that gospel says actually Caesar is not in charge. That gospel says that Trump is not in charge. Theresa May is not in charge. Jacinda Ardern is not in charge. All those forms of authority that used to function in the past have passed away, and now Jesus is the real, true king. That is the hope of the gospel, the kingdom of God coming to earth as it is in heaven. Now, why does that matter? Why have I spent so long talking this through and pushing this over and over again? Because on that first graph, if I were to talk to you about pursue God's calling for you to follow him and to take him seriously, on that first graph, it was limited to these small few things. But when you understand our call to God is a call to pursue the kingdom of God, to participate in what the Spirit is doing here on earth now in Tauranga, in our cities, in our families. God is establishing his kingdom here. When we understand that, the possibilities just open up. The ways that we are called to participate in this open up. And there are some of us that will be called into ministry. Some of you might be called to be pastors or children's workers or worship leaders or musicians. And some of us will be called to be here in the church and to carry forward the message of God and of his people. But a lot of us are going to be called to such bigger and greater things. Because the gospel needs more than pastors and preachers. The gospel needs all of us in all the different areas that we work to take hold of this crazy idea of the kingdom of God and think about it, what it means for us. What it does is it opens up a possibility for imagination. For you to think, and think right now, in what you're involved in, in the area that you are involved in. doesn't matter what it is. It really does not matter in what area you, whether you're a parent, whether you're a single mom, whether you're a father, whether you're a construction worker, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a doctor, a builder, a truck driver, in every single area that you are, God's kingdom, like yeast, is spreading. It's moving slowly, it's, it's starting small, and it's spreading, it's beginning to affect everything. And so we can begin to have imagination of what does that look like for me in my place? Because the kingdom of God needs more than preachers. It needs more than just for us to be nice here on a Sunday. It needs more than for us to just to try not sin. The kingdom of God needs people who understand it. It needs cops who understand that justice isn't just about retribution, but it's about reconciliation and rehabilitation. The gospel needs accountants who understand that money isn't there, isn't the God, it's not the Savior that we all try to serve. Money is there to serve the people and to be used for the flourishing of society. It needs teachers who understand that they're not just passing on information to kids, but they are forming people to be used for God in his plans and in his kingdom. It needs business owners who see that profits aren't actually the bottom line that we need to carry about. It's actually people. And it's our communities and it's our societies. It needs people to start thinking creatively. Scientists who understand that it's our responsibility to care for this earth that we're in. Not to just chuck it around to get rid of it and assume it's just going to disappear. It's to use science and technology and the gifts that we have to think about more creative and imaginative ways that we can caretake our planet, our society, our people. Doctors who care not just about getting things through, but caring for the whole person and seeing communities flourish. Can you begin? Can you just imagine? Can you just imagine? And so when Jesus calls us, the possibilities are crazy. And that's where we need faith. And so what I hope is, and we go on through this series, I hope you hold on in two hands 
two things. I hope you hold on to the story of the kingdom, the story of God becoming king in the areas where you are, and I hope you hold on to your place in life because God is calling you. And specifically, there are those of you who are in a place of transition where you don't quite know what's happening, where you don't quite know what you're wanting to do next. Many of you are at the stage where you're trying to decide career choices, long-term plans and long-term goals. Can I encourage you as you begin this thinking process of what you're going to be, God has a call for you. God has a call for you to participate in his kingdom. Let's begin to imagine what that could look like. And it's going to be terrifying. You're going to have to do things you never thought possible. You're going to have to go to places you didn't think you could go. You're going to have to stand up for things you didn't think you could stand up for. You're going to have to do things that you don't think you're worthy for, equipped for, called for. But with the Spirit of God in you and the Spirit of God moving and establishing his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God calls us. And Jesus didn't die on a cross just so we could go home and carry on for life as usual. God has a plan and a purpose for you in this great story that has been going on for thousands of years. God has a role for you to play in it. What could that be? Because there are people in this room that are going, I'm convinced, will be the heroes of faith that we talk about tomorrow. There are people here that are going to take up this mantle, this call to see God in their society, and they're going to push forward. And I, I, I believe that in years to come, someone else will be doing a fire story series, and they're going to pick up on some of the names that are here. What is God doing amongst us? Can we stand as we pray? Perhaps the best way uh, to finish this is to finish this with the words of Jesus himself. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be taken care of. God, God, you are so much bigger than we could ever imagine. Your plans for this earth, your, pl your plans for our city, for our community are so much greater and so much bigger and more courageous and more radical than we can even think right now. In some ways, it's humbled to think that you would call us. Because the truth is, so many of us in here, myself included, feel so unequipped, unqualified, and unworthy to do these things. Because we think, honestly, God, who, me? I don't really have much of a degree. I don't really have the networks. I don't really have the connections. You're, you're calling me. But God, I thank you that the story of the church for the last 2,000 years is that you, Jesus, picked the most unlikely people to do the biggest things. Because at the end of the day, it's not about our ability. It's about you working through us. God, I pray that you would speak to those of us here tonight those of us here who are longing for purpose, who are longing for meaning, who are longing to understand what it means to follow you in this world, God, would you begin to plant a dream? Would you begin to open up imaginations of what it could look like if these people give their lives to follow you and to follow your kingdom? Because God, your kingdom is great and good and we cannot wait for it to be fully established when you return. Give us courage to follow you here. And now, amen.